five, four, three, two, one. Bazinga. Bazinga. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Now Showing podcast. I'm your host, as always, Sam Houston, and I'm joined once again by my wonderful co-host, Lewis. Today, we're going to be looking at two films that came out over the last week, Dear Evan Hansen and The French Dispatch. Two very different films, one of which is a musical adapted from a popular Broadway show. Uh, another one is a very Wes Anderson-y Wes Anderson film about a fictional magazine in Kansas um, and we're going to be looking uh, in depthly at both of those um, there might be some spoilers for Dear Evan Hansen but I think we'll be alright otherwise on the French Dispatch end how are you doing today Lewis? I am good it's it's not been too long since we recorded so I feel like we're on a bit of a, a roll I, I am good I'm well I've had a fun weekend how are you doing? I'm doing alright um, yeah we recorded June a few days ago, and I'm going to record the Halloween episode with um, with Brandon in a few days if everything goes well. So it's very much um, you know business central uh, time of year for for us. You know, it's like this kind of all October November films coming out for awards, and then there's going to be another load of things to do for awards season. Um, but then kind of there's going to be a bit of a lull in between, I imagine. But yeah, we're right in the thick of it right now. Did you do anything interesting this weekend? You said you had a fun weekend. Um, I went pumpkin picking with my nieces. That was pretty much it. And I have a, I had a Halloween party with my nieces and my nephew. And that was it. That's actually kind of... I don't know if you got the date wrong or something, but that, that's not no, what No, well, one of my nieces and my nephew are on holiday this weekend. So they won't be home for Halloween. So we did a Halloween party a week early. That's, uh, that's not very considerate of them, but um, I guess we'll let them off on this on this instance. Um, okay, so you mentioned a second ago that we haven't been... It hasn't been very long since we last recorded. Um, so, obviously, we haven't seen many films or whatever. So, you haven't seen anything, because it's only been two, three days. Yeah. Uh, but I have seen one other film, uh, which I just wanted to talk about quickly. Please do. So, I saw um the last duel which you reviewed with um jl mm. um when i was unavailable last tuesday we have done a lot of episodes haven't we um fitting an awful lot in recently uh, and you were a lot more negative than he was uh i think jordan has been very outwardly praising this on twitter oh, yeah. in the last few um weeks or ever since he saw it and he said it's the best film of the award season he said it's better than june he was talking about uh jody jody coma's performance you on the other hand were a bit more negative and and didn't praise or, or had issues with the three act structure thought that maybe there was too much you know that there was a little bit too much kind of packed in there so i, I listened to the podcast uh, and i went into the 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 film already knowing these two opinions and I've got to say that I kind of disagree with you both. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think this is... Uh, well, I will, I'll start off. Intriguing. I think The Last Duel was a very, very entertaining picture. I, I thought it was... I thought The Last Duel was, was excellent. I think it was... Um, it was captivating. It was um, so thoroughly enjoyable and entertaining. And obviously, the subject matter is the thing, but it was very much on edge of my seat for the whole thing. I was curious about the events. I very much enjoyed, and I think one of the best part of the film 
is the three act structure where you know if you don't understand this is kind of this is a, about a, a case or a famous case of of a, a legal battle and, and duel over a, a rape and that this film shows the perspective from you know the 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 two men involved and then the woman uh, and i think the three stories being told back to back is is perfect i think it's excellent you did have a problem didn't have a problem with the idea of the structure but you seem to have a problem with the precedence and the importance and the length of the first chapter you thought mm. that they didn't need to be one for for matt damon's character who was jean de carouge who was the husband of jodie Cameron's character now i strongly disagree i think that that is integral to what makes this film good i think it, it's the best way to set the foundation for what goes on for goes forward i think if you just don't if that doesn't happen i think a lot of the events that happen within adam driver and jodie Comer's chapters uh make less sense i think it's a, it's a great way to kind of bring us in because it's the least um kind of in your face it's the least um kind of emotional thing i think it's a great way to build you in uh and i i think that the the, the seeing the three different stories and the the little differences is what made this so entertaining and i think that whilst it would have still been insane to see two sides of the same coin seeing three different sides three different versions i think that was that was very very enjoyable now i don't necessarily think the film is as is as perfect as jl makes it out though i think that it definitely has a bit of a problem with the pacing now i i feel like i talk about pacing every every episode and i'm going to do so further on the next two films i always seem to be moaning about it this week the problem with the last duel was that it, I felt it was too fast paced. The film is long. The film is two and a half hours, but I felt like, especially with the two males point of views, we never really get enough time in any one experience. You know, you're jumping between different events. Each event felt a bit too quick. I think maybe cutting some of the events and spending longer time in, in each you know, having a less number of events that happened, but spending longer in, in each one of them would have been greatly beneficial. I felt like it was a little bit too much of a roller coaster ride. We were kind of ripped along through the story a bit too much, especially when they were doing so much of the world building in, in the setting up in, in Matt Damon's chapter. I think that, you know, maybe even adding a little bit of time on, which seems a pretty mad thing to say when the film's already like 160 minutes. Um, but that's the major problem I had that I felt like it kind of threw it along. Also, I think there's a bit of a problem with some of the messaging that happens towards the end. I won't go into too much because it's very spoilery. Um, but I think there's some very interesting messages that I think perhaps actually do more bad than good. Um, but overall, I think it was excellent. Um, I, I understand all the, the love that Jodie Comer is getting. And I think she was excellent. But I don't understand why she's getting so much more than a lot of the other great performances here i thought that uh, that um i was gonna say i think that as i was gonna say actually i was nearly said i didn't drive it's the person i didn't want to say i thought that matt damon was was absolutely excellent in this i think that he deserves more talk and i also think that despite he has very li limited minutes i thought that ben affleck was probably the most standout of the film personally in very limited time um i, I thought ben affleck was excellent as, as the role as the the, the count uh, but overall a, a very very strong film you know i'm a massive ridley scott fan obviously you know i think he's probably the best sci-fi director of all time and I, I absolutely adore blade runner and alien and and you know and and such but yeah a very very strong film and i think this will, will definitely contend for a large number of awards i don't necessarily love it as much as jl did but i thought it was still very good do you have anything to say in response? No, not necessarily, because um, I feel like we're going to just end up going in circles, because I, obviously I disagree with a lot of what you said, but I agree with a lot of what you said as well. Um, mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I feel like we could just talk about it for hours and go in circles, and 
I say one thing, you say the other thing, and then we just circle around because I just didn't like Matt Damon in it. <laughs> oh, did you not? I don't. So no. I, 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 I must have not picked that up on the uh, yeah. on the podcast. I know. I, did, I, did, I promise. I listened. I, I, I didn't know. You didn't. I thought he was. <laughs> I mean, you know, me and you both, both me and you, um, are very out there with our hair and facial facial hair and 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 head hair you know you hmm. you're always going between a, a large number of, of different neon shades yeah. i'm by myself look like i'm homeless i've got like hair down to my shoulders and a big beard so. <laughs> but so i'm not so i think that i'm the expert in bad hair and i can say matt damon and ben affleck both contend for like worst hair and absolutely it's, it's yeah appropriate and it's not saying it's a bad thing because i'm sure it's appropriate for, for the characters but it is laughably well, like, ugly you say that you're sure it's appropriate for the characters but is it? Why did they decide? Why did they look at Ben Affleck and think, you know, for this character, let's give him a bleach blonde beard? Or let's give him a I bleach blonde I kind of loved goatee. looking at it, though. It's, I, I kind of really enjoyed And why the, did they look at Matt like, Damon and think, let's give him a mullet? Yeah, it was, was it the was mullet big in 13th century France? Or 14th century maybe. France? Maybe it was, though. Maybe was, you don't know. Were, were bleach blonde goatees? The the must have facial accessory in 14th century France. No, I'm just saying the French they're a crazy bunch, <laughs> right? You you can never know what the French are up to. But the, so I think I the, the hair and makeup team did Affleck and Damon dirty on this because they look so ridiculous. And it's weird yeah, because they I, looked at Adam Driver I, and went, I, "Yeah, you can stay. You know, you've got long black hair. You can stay. That's fine." Ben Affleck, we're going to give you a bleach blonde goatee. Matt Damon, you're getting a mullet. But Adam Driver, you're fine. That's what makes it weird. I, uh, I quite loved. I, I, I kind of. There was some kind of mixed feel because I loved Affleck especially. I loved looking at it. I wanted to see that more. The hair and the beard, like it was kind of car crash esque. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's. I, I'm that. You know, I'm sure that will get worst hair, hair, hair styling in, uh, in the Now Shang Awards or something. Uh, yeah, when I came out of the cinema, I. Uh, I was there was like a bunch of like frat boys that were like probably about you know five years older than me or something like in their thirties or something early late twenties early thirties and um, as I like walked out of cinema I was walking behind them and I walked to the toilet and they all went to the toilet as well so I was like listening as I walked out and they were like fucking hell that was fucking awful and then one of them was like oh it wasn't that bad and they were like the other four were like no it was awful like proper awful. And they're like, so that's what a great idea. Show the same story three times, but slightly different, eh? <laughs> and everyone's like laughing. I was like, I was like, oh Jesus Christ! And then they went into the went to the toilets, and he was like, oh, I couldn't stop laughing during the rape scene when my, when Johnny said something, whispered something in my ear about. I was like, what the fuck? I was like, Jesus, Jesus. Christ, man. Like, I think his mate made some joke about 22 Jump Street in his ear during the rape scene. So he was like, oh, oh man, I couldn't stop laughing. You know when you're not supposed to laugh? Yeah, when you're not supposed to laugh, you fucking freak. But, Jesus. Um, <laughs> I know. I was like, oh man, alive. But I think there probably is a fair few people that have been duped into thinking this is like an action film. And then oh, yeah, I've actually probably. found out that there's probably about six minutes of action in the whole thing. Yeah. But, but it's good action when it is. There's mm. probably quite a few frat boy types that have gone into this thinking that, that they're going to watch Lord of the Rings or something. And they actually end up at like a, 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 a emotional drama about rape. Um, 
that you know that you know i guess i also think the same for june i think a lot of people are gonna go into june thinking that it's like yeah like star wars like i kept calling it the new star wars but like in terms of actual like tone you know like people think it's gonna be space battles and lasers uh and it turns out it's, it's a bit more mm. of a kind of personal story and stuff but yeah i can see how people how people like that end up uh in the last year even if their opinions are disgusting um yeah, so I think that pretty much uh, is that. So we'll, we'll uh, move on to... Have we got any news? Have we got anything we want to talk about? Something about uh, <laughs> Sonic 2? The perhaps? biggest news since we last recorded is that Idris Elba has come out. Star of Sonic the Idris Elba's come out? <laughs> no. Uh, Idris Elba, star of Sonic 2, has come out and said that Knuckles in Sonic 2 will not be sexy. That's not the vibe that he's going for. And I just think we need to bully the studio again. <laughs> we bullied them. They changed the design of Sonic. We can do it again. Yeah. It's well, studio interference think... again, ruining everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I I have got some uh, some really good news actually. I don't. I, don't, I, I mean, this isn't particularly. Well, I just want to talk for a second about the career revival of loved beloved yes. actor brendan fraser yeah um please do <laughs> yeah um because he's just been cast as uh the villain in in the new batgirl film um and that means it's his fourth upcoming what a guy project um so he's he's got the whale coming up which is a darren aronofsky film and then he's so obviously you know a, a legendary director then Killers of the Flower Moon, which is even you know even more so of a legendary director, Martin Scorsese, yeah. working working. Um, is this? It's actually not pronounced like that, isn't it? Like people always RC people always say it's pronounced Scorsese. Actually, I think, um, and it's also got like Leonardo DiCaprio in it and stuff. And then um, he's got and then Brothers, um, which has got Glenn Close in it. Um, so obviously the other thing. And then he's like a big superhero film, DC film, Batgirl coming out. So like. I, I think everybody. There is no one that is sad to see Brendan Fraser come back. Um, Absolutely, the Mummy Returns. You may <laughs> say, um, but that the Mummy Returns is the th- no. The Mummy Returns is actually quite good. It's the third one that's awful. Sorry, um, but yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think we're all happy to see Brendan back. Hey, yeah, obviously, yeah. everyone loves him. Yeah, yeah it's one of those things. Is, is, <laughs> It'd be annoying when it like, comes out that he's actually like a nonce in 15 years' time. Oh, God, don't. It's but, like Tom Hanks. Yeah. No one hates Tom Hanks. Yeah, but he is in... I mean, well... well <laughs> they, I don't know. He's What's Tom Hanks he's had some, no, He was in the... Look, this is not where the podcast should go. I don't want to be making allegations on the, on the podcast. Right. He is in the Epstein flight logs. Is he? But, yeah. Ugh. But, you know, we don't know any of the details there, so... You know, allegedly, I'm sorry, Mr. Hanks. allegedly, I, I, allegedly, in the <laughs> he, I do think he's the greatest actor of all time. So mm. you know, but you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, <laughs> just trying to dig myself out. Of yeah, just there. move on. <laughs> Moving on, of course, to the first film of the day, um, which is. I actually have been finding things t- to say that I don't have to start talking about. Dear Evan Hansen. Okay. <laughs> We're looking at Dear Evan Hansen now. So there is... Okay, okay. So if you don't know what Dear Evan Hansen is, um, basically, 
Darren Hansen is the story of a middle-aged Radiohead fan who pretends to be <laughs> a high school child uh, who mentally uh, torments and tortures the pet family of a recently dead child who died by suicide whilst also uh, trying to manipulate his, his, the sister of the dead child into sex. Um, stars Ben Platt. It stars um, no one else really that I think is... Uh, Caitlin Dever. Oh, Caitlin Dever, of course. Julianne uh, Moore. Amy Adams, Julianne Moore. That's pretty That's much it. My brain just went through. Uh, yeah, and a <laughs> bunch of, of things. So, realistically, the Evan Hansen actually is the story of Evan Hansen, who's played by Ben Platt, um, who is a awkward high schooler uh, who has problems with talking to the point at which he can't even talk to you know, his Uber Eats driver or delivery driver, whatever, um, who trying to make friends at school, but then also has a um, assignment from his therapist that he has to write letters to himself about why the day is going to be good. He wakes up in the morning, he writes, Dear Aaron Hansen, you know, today's going to be a good day because I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this. Um, and he does this and he goes through some life. He hasn't got many friends. Um, and one day he gets kind of picked on by uh, a... A, a figure named oh, what is the character's name? The, the Connor. 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 Connor Murphy. He gets get, kind of he gets picked on a little bit by this, this guy Connor Murphy, and the next day that Connor Murphy tries to pick up, tries to make up to him, um, but then also he, but then accidentally he he, you know, Evan Hansen accidentally prints his 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 note to himself and. Uh, when when Connor Murphy dis- dis- discovers the the note and sees that he fans he actually Evan Hansen has a crush on his on on Connor Murphy's sister Zoe, um, he runs off with the note and they find out the next day that he's killed himself, and and Connor Murphy's killed himself and then the parents of Evan Hansen, sorry the parents of Connor Murphy believe that he is friends with him because he sees the note and they assume that the the note that Evan Hansen wrote himself was actually a suicide note and the plot continues from there um and he has to you know pretend that he's friends with this you know this this dead guy uh, and you know hilarity ensues not not, well actually not really it's actually quite depressing but this um is a musical but also gained notoriety because of the um lead character being played by Ben Platt when it's a so he's about 28 29 and he's playing a high schooler and that that got a lot of uh kind of talk before when the trailers came out especially because he kind of doesn't look that young um but if you don't mind me starting i have a lot of thoughts on on darren hansen please is that okay please go please um okay so I'm going to have some spoilers here. I'm going to talk about spoilers, okay? And I don't normally openly do that. I'll, I might leave something in the description, but I just want to say, if you haven't seen Evan Hansen, Dear Evan Hansen, do you want to go see it? Really? Well, the answer should be no. So who cares about spoilers? Even if you haven't seen it and you're going to see it, who cares about spoilers? Um, and if you have seen it, then who cares? Uh, but I will leave the things in the description, but my point is don't bother because you shouldn't go watch this film. Uh, Dear Evan Hansen is definitely undeniably undoubtedly one of the worst films of the year and i cannot believe that it got made now of course the 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 kind of proverbial elephant in the room uh is is of course evan uh, is of course ben platt as evan hansen um now 
there's I, I saw a lot of people defending it on Twitter um, by saying, you know, Tom Holland's 26, he's playing a he's he's playing a, a high schooler, you know, uh, Tobey Maguire was Tom Holland, right? Tom Holland, he he might be 26 or 27, not far off the 28 year old Ben Platt, but he looks young. He looks like a very young fella, right? Ben Platt who has been given the role because one partly because his dad's produced the film secondly because he's been playing it since the you know the original Darren Hanson on, on Broadway for the last 10 years or so but the reason but he does not look 28 he does not look like a high school actually yeah he doesn't look 28 he actually does look older than he is if you look at a picture of him in interviews when he's back and he's got his Norbid he looks older than 28 anyway you know I'm 20 years old right but I couldn't play. I couldn't play a seventeen-year-old. If they, if a film cast me as a seventeen-year-old, you know, that's three years younger than me. They couldn't. I think a film would would struggle to cast me as a twenty-year-old because I obviously look older, right? So why would they cast a twenty-eight-year-old as who looks about forty to to think and and the, to to play a, a high school child? Um, now the problem is, is that it's not like it's just him as he is. They have obviously gone to a ridiculous. Uh, amount of effort to try and make him look younger which has generally just been a ridiculous amount of foundation and it just results in this weird looking really the word that keeps going to my head is sweaty performance he he obviously looks wrong he does not look like he's got a strange haircut he doesn't look like he's a child but he looks like he's kind of wearing a mask of his own face with the amount of makeup he's kind of caked in um and it it makes it worse because he's playing alongside people that might be only three or four years younger than him but look 10 years younger than him he's he, this creepy dude has been let into this school and he's he's talking to you know his love interest zoe who's played by ken endeavor does look like she could be 16 and she's supposed to be you know, maybe a little bit older so it obviously doesn't doesn't fit but that is so surface level compared to the amount of things that is bad with this film now i've actually written a list on my phone of different reasons that i hate <laughs> dear evan hansen and i've got to 21 Jeez. now i i want this to be kind of conversational because i want to say a few of them then you come back then me respond well you know it, i think about if you want to do it that way i have something to say about the casting of evan of, of ben Platt. sure go for it because i have been one of the defenders of Ben Platt's casting because uh, although well yeah I have defended his casting because like you say yeah Tom Holland is similar age but he looks younger but time and time again there have been castings of people who are so obviously not 17 who have to play 17 year olds you watch Riverdale or 30 Reasons Why they look in their late 20s they some of them look in their 30s and no one cares for some reason people care so much more about ben platt and people say oh he got cast because of his dad or he got cast because he played the role on broadway he got cast because he won an emmy for it a tony for it a grammy for it and it's one of the most critically acclaimed performances ever on broad broadway that's why he plays the role because his version of devon hansen is one of the most critically acclaimed performances ever on Broadway. Regardless of my thoughts on the film, the play is critically acclaimed, and he was critically acclaimed in the play. He won a Tony, an Emmy, a Grammy for it. He's three quarters of the way to an EGOT for one role. 
That's why he got cast in it. And honestly, I don't think he looks that bad at times. But you are right. In the film, they have made him look older than he actually is. I think he it, already looks older than he is. But the thing is, though, if he, if you know, if it's unbelievable, you know, he, he wants his Oscar. You know, he's he's done this. He, he's won a Grammy. He's won a Tony. Whatever. I mean, I can't say I. I would be so shocked if the play is any good because of just the uh, the story has to be so different because of how many flaws there are with the story. But if that is all that reason why does not justify his casting because of just how bad he is. I mean, we're talking about a film where everyone is pretty bad. I don't think so. I think, but I do agree except that Canada. it doesn't but look bad. But he is bad. the he worst. He does look bad. He is the worst performance. I do yeah. think he looks bad, like you say, with the amount of makeup they've put on his face. It reminds me of when a morgue covers a dead body in makeup to make it look less dead. Yeah. That's what he looks like. They should have just kept his face as it is, or put Ooh, a little they, bit of makeup on. If they just were make some of his supporting actors look older, maybe yeah. it's like I think maybe we've got to forget it or age it up to a college. Yeah, like, I don't think it's that much of an issue that he's twenty eight. But why didn't they just say, okay, yeah, you're twenty eight now, so we're going to make this a story about he's in college, he's not in high school anymore? That would have been really easy. But even so, like with I think part of the performance, like at the end of the day. I think, the, realistically, if anyone else produces, he wouldn't have been in it. I think you, you can say, oh, we did all the thing. He would not have been cast as this play in this current situation if it wasn't for his dad producing the film. I, I really would... I, I very much doubt that because of the, the nature of the story. I think, I think a lot of this film, and I'm going to get into some of the more problematic elements in a second, but a lot of this film revolves around Evan Hansen doing truly detestable things. And one of the only defences that you can give for him is that he is young and... You know he's he's got problems, and you feel sorry for him because of his naivety and his his innocence and his age. When you're looking at someone that is old, that looks older than my dad, you lose all of that. You know you can't like it's so important that he looks innocent and he looks. This was not a they, they couldn't have gotten it more wrong. I don't think. I I think it's an awful casting personally. I think it's awful. Um, but shall I get into the actual film now? The it's really hard because I've got so many little individual points. I don't know where to start. You know, there's so many different <laughs> things I have. I guess I'll, I'll think. So I guess I'll start with. Well, I'll go through Ben Platt. So we're going to talk about the musical element. Okay, we'll, we'll go for that first before I get into the plot. So the this is a musical. It has quite a lot of songs. Now they all almost all of them seem to be solos from Evan, which you know I'm fine, I guess, but it seems a little bit weird. But they all sound there is one really good song in this um which is sincerely me now it has problems with tonal issues because it doesn't fit with the rest of the film at all but it is a, a decent song and i enjoyed it i didn't mind the first song waving through the window um but the problem is is that all of the other songs sound absolutely identical and i could never remember them now i can't remember any except for one that i specifically listened to to review back thing i can't remember all, all of the, even the the main you will be found and i've seen a few people on twitter uh, and on youtube saying that it's you know a complete remake of it's pretty much you know a copy and paste um of of uh, the greatest showman's um you know i can't remember the, the, is it just called great showman or whatever this is the greatest mm-hmm. show which is written by the same people um but 
let like the, the songs which are are all very much very similar you could you know pl- play remove the you could put the the lyrics with the the tune of any song and it would fit um it also fits in the fact that ben platt who i'm sure is a, is a great singer his voice obviously doesn't suit these songs, regardless of how good he is a singer. Because I think there are definitely times where you can tell, okay, like this guy can sing. Obviously, he's done very well. He's he's, he's had a career off it. But I think that at least the, the compositions that have been used in the film do not suit his voice. You know, he is does not suit the high notes that he's been constantly asked to perform. And they provide some laughable uh, moments, which also combine with the fact that I've never seen someone be so emotive. Maybe that works on stage, but... It is too emotive for the screen. Um, it, he, some of the facial expressions that he pulls throughout this, and the constant gesturing is so distracting and, and is unhuman-like. I mean, I'm constantly told about how um, insecure and quiet and shy this guy is. Then why do you keep like pulling strange faces and, and dancing and like throwing your hands in the air? I don't mean like during songs. I mean he's just a very you know a very emotive guy. Um, but the the songs throughout don't just go for the problems with Ben Platt. Like I think there's so much auto tune used, and in Julianne Moore's song, I mean you, the auto tune, which is also an awful number, um, is so like the auto tune absolutely reeks. Obviously, doesn't suit Julianne Moore at all. The song is awful and repetitive. It's probably the worst one. The one about the truck. Oh my god! It's supposed to have some sort of emotional resonance, but really for me, just maybe just just fall asleep. Um, but I guess that's the, the main problem with the, the music. But I mean, there's also this kind of weird thing that, that he constantly does. When I don't know if this is a trait of all, I mean, not too far. I've listened to, I've watched a fair few musicals and I, I haven't noticed it as much as this, where Ben Platt constantly kind of sings between saying words. It's really jarring. Like he kind of starts like the, the when he goes, like he goes, he starts singing and then he goes back down to talking. You, he noticed you had indigo streaks in your hair. Just like, just midway through the sentence, just back to, to talking. And it's just something that he does and it's so jarring. Um, so that's the music. Have you got any thoughts on the music? Uh, well, I'm going to save everything for my review mostly. Okay, sure. But I will okay, say that um, that talking thing, that is just something that happens in musicals. Okay, well, yeah, it was maybe. I didn't. I've, I've too far. I've watched a fair few musicals, and I've never noticed it being so annoying. To be fair, but okay. So, getting into the the plot. So, th- th- this plot is is problematic. Of course, um, is mean uh, on the surface is laughably weak and mean, but deeper is actually really grim. Now, of course, there's the the thing of so basically the story set around. Evan Hansen pretending that he was in a friendship with the pet the, the child that, that killed himself and he continually um, kind of keeps giving them bits of information that he makes up uh, to try and kind of push them along in order to in a part way to not make them sad at the beginning it's because he doesn't want them to, to, to be emotional or whatever but then very early later middle on it they kind of provide a bit of a family for him he loves going there he goes there all the time he's eating food there every day but thirdly which is the really the issue here is that he is deeply in love with their daughter the the uh sister of the, the person that killed himself which is fucking creepy you know like 
at its heart, you know, it's he is shown as the protagonist, as the good guy. He is giving this kind constant um like he's constantly trying to just give her the the to, to try and please her to try and get to his end. He wants to he wants her, you know, he wants to be in a relationship with her. He's giving he's she she says to him, like, Oh, you've brought my brother back because of the stories that he tells. Like, this film doesn't treat Evan at all as the bad guy. And the the what the actions that he pulls and the real strange sexual undertones or, or romantic undertones are just you know, as I say, really grim. You know, the, what he does is manipulation, psychological abuse, and he never gets treated like the bad guy. Throughout the whole film, they never treat him like he's the bad guy. He never gets a comeuppance. He's never shown to be... They never talk about him being sociopathic. He faces his, you know, the whole way through the film. I mean, the film is so, so obvious what's going to happen from scene to scene. You could telegraph it from the trailer. Um, but he never has to pay the price. When he gets found out, he just deals with it. He never has to pay the price. And... I mean, I just, I, you know, but before I, I keep going on little tangents, but I'm going to talk about, there's this moment in the film quite early on, fairly early on into it, when he's all, told the the parents that about what's happening. And he's kind of started to get a bit of a relationship with the family. He says that he's friends. They went to an apple orchard with, with their dead son or whatever, etc. Um, and then he is alone with Zoe, the daughter, um, and she says, oh, in, in your suicide, in his suicide note, he mentions like, you know, being excited to, to see me, which actually was Evan just being horny. Um, and she's like, oh, what, what things do we, what things did he ever say about me? Oh, he, he's like, oh, he loved you, he loved you. What things did he say about me? He never showed that he loved me. What do you say about me? That's what she says to him. And then he goes off on some kind of his weird song about, all the different things that he's noticed about her. Oh, when you, when you play in jazz band, I noticed that you, you know, you, you have a little smile, you bite your lip. Um, I thought, you know, he, 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 you know, it's never in me, but he, you know, your brother thought that, you know, your hair was, was looked really hot or whatever. And all, every single thing he lists would be really weird for a brother to say about their sister. You know, like every single thing he says is at least some of it is, implicitly some of it ex is explicitly romantic like she should be sh screaming what the fuck was my brother doing why was he so sexual towards me why was he so romantic towards me like it is so creepy thinking of it from the perspective of what if the brother actually said this but then also it's creepy knowing that you know he's making this up and using the guise of a dead brother to that didn't actually say these things but i i feel like it's never really shown like she never really talks about how it's weird that her brother was so excited to see her. And she also never says about how fucking creepy all the things that he apparently said about it was. And that is one of the, like, the examples of this film when it's, it's most despicable. I mean, the, what he does, like, all the emotional blackmail, all of the kind of uh, gaslighting and despicable actions are never really talked about i mean it never really brought up i never really explained and he never pays the price the film ends with him you know do it dealing with these actions doing these things 
him kind of slightly making it up to them by trying to show them a bit more about the, you know, he reveals he lies. Then he tries to, you know, find a bit about what, you know, Connor Murphy was really like by finding some documents about him or something. Um, and then he just kind of, he lives his life. He doesn't really face any repercussions. No one's really annoyed about him. Everyone seems to kind of forget. And he kind of gets on. Not like he has been doing something that is completely and utterly despicable. I think this film would have worked a lot better if this was some sort of dark comedy about this you know how bad evan is but in reality it actually just comes across as how are you pretending this to be a good thing how are you pretending to be a good guy and how does he not play a price for it um i've got so many more things to say but i'm gonna i'm feel like i'm saying too much so i'll let you have a, a bit of a, your review now and okay. i'll come back for a few more things i want to say well we're in for a fun episode because i totally disagree oh my god really i surprisingly because i really didn't expect it very much enjoyed Dear Evan Hansen. In the same way, though, because I, I said when we reviewed In the Heights and when we reviewed the Cinderella musical, a musical could be very bad. It could be very badly made. But as long as some of the music is fun, I'll have a good time. And I think the music in this is fun. I think a few of them do sound the same and a few of them are a bit interchangeable. I had the issue within the Heights. But there are some standouts. I think Sincerely Me, like you said, is a standout. I do think that that, um, what's it? You will be found. That one's great. Yeah. I, I was humming that on the way home. And I downloaded several songs from the soundtrack. I thought that final song that Connor sings, I think that's a pretty decent song. I would I downloaded that as well, listened to that on the way home. That's okay. That's right. That's right. And I enjoyed the music. I don't think that... Oh, no, I also... I think Julianne Moore's song about trucks, Ooh. while lyrically it was a bit stumbly, that was one of the most emotional scenes in the film. And I think Julianne Moore was great in that scene, and she is great in this film. And I liked that scene a lot. But I I don't think that Evan Hansen is sociopathic, like you said. I don't think... Obviously what he did was wrong... But I don't think it was so wrong that you'd say he was sociopathic. I don't think that he was manipulating the sister of a dead kid to have sex with her. I don't think that was ever his intention. I he feel like he's on sex. There's no sex. The sex is never mentioned in this film. I just say that. Well, no, but like the romance. I don't think that that was ever his intention. He always mm. liked her, obviously, but I don't think that was ever his intention. And to be honest, when I was sat there watching it, and especially when they're having dinner. And the family get into a bit of an argument. And, you know, the father is staying quiet or the stepfather's staying quiet. And the sister is saying, he was a horrible person. Connor was horrible. He was not a good person. And then the mum, Amy Adams, is saying, he wasn't. He was a good person. He was a good person. And she's having a breakdown because everyone around her is telling her that her son was horrible and that the world's better off without him. And obviously she's his mum. She doesn't think that. She doesn't want to think that. She doesn't want to hear that. So she says to Evan, like, tell me something about my son that's good. Tell me that you knew my son and that he was good. You're all that I have left. You're the only connection I have left to my son. And if I were in that moment, I think I'd chicken out and make something up as well. I wouldn't let it snowball to the same extent. extent. I mean, it's, yeah, exactly. But and he has I think so many I, chances to change that. Yeah, but and I understand with what you were saying about how he doesn't look the age that he is. But he is 17. And he maybe a 17-year-old would let it snowball. Because if someone's mum was in front of me and their son had just killed himself and she was saying to me, you knew my son, you're all that I have left of my son, please tell me something good about him. 
I would be a coward and I would chicken out and I'd say, oh, he was great. We were best friends. He was so kind. He was so lovely. Everything this. He does take it a bit too far, but I do think that this is a film. They have to make it a bit stupid. You know, faking the emails is obviously wrong, but it's a film. They've got to do something to progress the plot forward. I don't think that it's ever about manipulating them. I think it's about giving them comfort. And it kind of reminds Wait. me of when people go to see psychics. Because to me, I don't know how you feel about this, to me, psychics are obviously a scam. Like, obviously it's not yeah. real. Yeah. But, like, some people like to go to psychics and, in inverted commas, talk to their loved ones who have died. And it brings them comfort. And if it brings them comfort, is it really that wrong? You know, these psychics who are lying and who are making stuff up and are manipulating and capitalising on grieving people, is it wrong for them to give comfort, even if giving comfort is through lying? And that's what I feel he but was I doing. There's... He was just giving them comfort. Even if he did take it too far, he was just giving them comfort. And when she said, you've given my brother back to me, I think that's what he wanted to do. I don't think it was ever about romantic. I think that just happened. I think that's what it was always about. It was always about him saying you know, okay, this family is devastated and I can help them. And he sees how devastated they are and he thinks, I, I can help this family. And it did have its issues. It wasn't perfect. I don't think the performances were bad. I think most of the performances were good. I agree with what you're saying about Ben Platt's performance, but I think that's because he's a Broadway actor. When you're on Broadway, you've got to play for the back row, mm -hmm. whereas on mm -hmm. camera, you can be a lot more yep. subtle. So I do agree with exactly. that. But I think Julia Moore... Amy Adams, particularly those two, fantastic. Caitlin Dever's great. Most of the cast is great. And I do think that Ben Platt is good. He, go he gives a decent performance. But like you say, he is a bit overexpressive because he's used to doing stage where you project as much as you can for the back row. Um, but overall, I think the performances are great. I think the music wasn't perfect, but it was fun. Most of it was good. I enjoyed most of it. Um, and I actually surprisingly enjoyed it. I did. I don't think that it was despicable what he did. I think he took it too far, but I wouldn't go so far as to say it was despicable and sociopathic. I don't think it was. I just think he was a kid, because as much as he does look old, he is a kid. And he's a kid who tried to do something nice, and it just got taken way too far and way too out of control. And I think that's what it was. I think... I and I when you, when you start off with the the first scenes of his discussion, and and I think that you know that, that there is no particular justification in doing that, but say you know he just wants them to you know she's she's just trying to calm her down, just trying to think, you know I think firstly you don't weave a lie so long and go off in some big detail about the exact day you had, which was also like the chances that he didn't fall into like he goes into. I can't believe he doesn't get caught in lying at some point. In I know, the but film. you've got I mean, to like, suspend your disbelief to some extent. Right, whatever. <laughs> but at the end of the day, he, he like, there's so many specific details that he puts into that story, like the dates for no reason. And, you know, the fact that he went to the ice cream shop and, you know, the fact that he got right, that it was fine, that the orchard wasn't like, it wasn't destroyed or whatever. And it was just lucky they talked about the orchard and the amount of like different things that he gets along with. But anyway, once he does that, which is, you know, I think bad enough anyway. Yeah, the extent that he he does it and the way that he uses it for his own gain, and he I loves. I don't think the, it is for his own gain though. That's the he thing. loves the attention that he gets. Like he, I don't is, think so. He, 
Because when he gets all these followers, you know, it's seen to be a good thing. You know, his whole life I, turns upwards. Off the back of this lie, his life becomes good. That's he not how d- I no longer. But he, he, I mean, that is, you know, before he lied, he was miserable. He couldn't talk to any, he had no friends. He couldn't talk to anyone. He had no proper relationship. He couldn't talk about his issues. He, you know, was madly in love with someone that was never going to talk to him. He started lying. He got a hot girlfriend. He, you know, he's one of the cool guys. He's got loads of followers. He's talking about his problems to Elena. He's, you know, he's got all the, all the world is great because he lied. And that's regardless of whether you think that is his, you know, his, his intention in the beginning or not. It is true. That is that his life becomes better the more he lies. Well, no, I, um, I don't think it is because he doesn't enjoy it because he's constantly thinking about this lie. He's constantly stressed about this lie. And you say he didn't get caught out. He did get caught out. She came over to him and said, did you, were you even friends with him? Because the dates on these emails don't make sense. This doesn't make sense. <laughs> the plot and he's just, holes in this. I, he's I, I, he I panicked think like... and he's stressed about it all the time. It's not that his life is great. His life is great on the outside, but we see that it's not great when he's on his own and he's constantly terrified of being caught out in this lie. Which he keeps accentuating. I mean, like, at the end of the day, there's no justification for what he did. Oh, like, yeah, but it, reg- I, I know, that, but it's still, it's a film. You've got to say, like, if if it, this was, if this story was approached the, logically, then this film would be about half an hour long. I mean, there are so, yeah, I mean, there are so many stupid plot decisions. I mean, so but many you can say that about any okay, film. You can, I mean, I don't think to the degree. But one of the same problems, one of the biggest problems, I think, this film, is that it doesn't say anything. The points that it makes are so mute, but that it's essentially it's just like what what would happen with this premise. I think it has so little uh, to say because it tries to do that thing where it's like for about two minutes it tries to talk about depression and anxiety, but it is so surface level. I mean, it's it never gets beyond like they exist and are bad. They exist and you should talk about it. They never go any depth of it. There's no underlying subtext here like the uh, there's no positive message to what he does he doesn't get a comeuppance there is no deeper meaning of of what he you know what he what he does in a positive or negative sense these are just a series of events that happen this film is completely like oh you say at worst morally corrupt at best morally empty i mean it just like it, it i mean there's i don't think so, so. I, mean, I just I, think, I mean, this film has nothing... This is just a series of events that are ridiculous and would never happen, that happen, that we have to take at face value. Well, I, I don't think it is at face value. I think it, the whole thing is, as the song says, you are not alone. The whole thing, when she's scrolling through the donations and it's people saying, you know, this isn't just for Connor, this is for everyone. My friend committed suicide, my friend did this. You know, we're all in this together. We are not alone. And yet, it's not this deep, introspective film about... Uh, mental health because it's a stupid musical you know and it does, but every film is just a series of events that would logically never happen i mean 90 percent of films you watch and you think well you wouldn't do that in real life you know watch a horror film and you think well no you just you just close the door and r- call the police and run away you wouldn't go into the scary room and that just ruins the fun part of the fun but is even, watching people even do some of those most never happen in real life that's ridiculous but for an end there is no end here there's no purpose i mean these literally uh, the fact that he isn't like there is no repercussions for his actions to he ends any up alone real... no one likes him in the school everyone but he's him. happy everyone stares at him but he's ultimately happy i don't he's think shown he's shown to be think, ultimately happy i think he's happier because he's realized he's stopped lying he stopped lying he says that in the end 
His final monologue thing is about him saying, I'm not lying anymore. Things aren't great. I'm not great. But at least I'm not lying anymore. I'm authentically me. I don't have to hide anything anymore. That's why he's happy, because he's stopped lying. But he should never... It's not like, oh, yeah, I was a serial killer, but now it's okay. I'm not a serial killer anymore. You know, I've stopped killing people. So it's well, fine. no, that's... You know that, what I mean? Like, he still did something that was despicable. Yeah, he did, and he lost all of his friends in his relationship for it. Or not all of his friends. He didn't have any friends, of them. But everyone was being nice to him in school, and now they're all staring at him and judging him. He had a nice girlfriend and a nice second family with Amy Adams. Because he lied, gone. though. Yeah, because he lied. But he couldn't live with himself. There's no... So now he's, ha- well, he's happier at the end. I think this works better if he's shown as the villain. He's ha- no, I, I don't think so. He's happier at the end than he is in the middle of the film because he's stopped lying. He'd rather be on his own and not lie about everything than have this fake second family and a girlfriend and all the attention based on a lie. You know, he's got 20-something thousand followers, but it's based on a lie, and that makes it worse. But he which did is that why when he- Yeah, no, he did that. But still, so nothing is worse because he lied. Ultimately, he at the end of the day, from the, the minute before he lies to the end of the film, his life only gets worse, only gets better. No, because between the two, he didn't have he didn't have a bird. He didn't have any friends. Now he hasn't got bird. He hasn't got any friends. But he's happy, and he's got twenty thousand followers. No, at the end of the day, like he no. doesn't get he he is happier at the end of the film than he is right at the start. Way happier. Yeah, because he's been on a, a moral journey where he's been through something bad. He's, he's only been bad, side. though. He's never been... He he's told the truth in bad. the end. He told the truth. He admitted that what he did was wrong, and he's lived with himself, and he's tried to redeem himself. Or At the end of the day, he's not like he killed people or he murdered anyone. He just lied about something that was bad. And psychologically tortured... The family of a de- recently dead child. I, no, I, I don't think it was like that. I think he was trying to comf- comfort them. And in the end, it got taken too far. And when it was so too far, he said, right, I'm not doing this anymore. Here's the truth. And he lost everything that he gained. But at least he wasn't lying about himself anymore. And that's why he's happier. That's, that's from the like minute, saying from the killing someone. When he dies, from the minute when he lies up until the moment that he tells the truth... That he is not happy. He is not good. He's constantly worried about this lie that's lingering over him, which is why he says in the final scene, you know, I'm still not perfect. I'm still not happy, but at least I'm being myself. At least I'm not lying. Just because he has 20,000 followers and he gets a girlfriend and he has this second family doesn't mean that his life is good and that he's happier. He's worse because all of it is based on a lie and he feels guilty about it all. But you're saying that that killing someone, I was using this analogy because it's an obvious crime, it's like saying if he killed someone and owned up to it, it's better than not killing someone at all. At the end of the day, his life no. is better at the end of the film than it is before the first frame. That's not what I'm at saying. The end, he starts the film depressed and miserable and, and hating everything about himself and the way that thing, and he wants to, you know, first song is about how, no, you know, like no one's ever seen him. And he just feels, uh, you know, all like everything's, you know, worse. And he, you know, the film reveals that he tried to kill himself before the film started and all that stuff. So he was depressed and awful before the film and he finishes the film. Okay. He's not perfect. He hasn't got all the stuff he wants, but at the end of the day, he's, he's content with himself because he's owned up to being an awful person. No, not because he's owned up to being an awful person, but because he's gone on this journey of... He never faces a can happens. He, I, he I loses everything. He, 
All he, he I know he's not saying that it's like killing. Gained. It's not like killing someone. All he did was lie. All he did was lie. I mean, yeah, th- that and he that, lost I mean, everything. There's a lot of scenarios where lying could be life changing. In this one, it's pretty bad. He he, but his intentions kind were of good. strings. I don't know if I necessarily agree. I think a lot of the, uh, this film would feel a lot less, you know, conflicted if he didn't ever have a relationship with Zoe. If he had a relationship with Alana, I agree. That I is the that film... is the the worst part, and that is the weakest part. And I think it would have been a lot better if, when she came onto him, he was like, "No, no, this isn't right. I can't do this because I feel too guilty about lying." But he didn't do that. I agree with that. But at the end of the day, it's not like he manipulated her into a relationship. He was trying to comfort her and she liked his comfort his him displaying his thoughts as compliments from a dead brother that realistically probably hated her in in which then ultimately gets him to okay someone like walks in or whatever like you know but they would have got their first kiss and he was happy to take that first kiss yeah off the the back of him disguising his own horniness as the 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 apparent dying thoughts of of her brother i mean i think that that's despicable the way that he he just gets off on that now the positive part of this film is just before that is um the sincerely me song which i kind of wanted to talk a little bit more about because that is the highlight of the film there is is a comedic number um between um Jared, who I'm going to get on back to in a second, but Jared and Evan, who are writing this uh, kind of long uh, list of emails between Evan and Connor that you know that they make you know after Connor's died, obviously, to to show like you know that they were friends, and Jared keeps taking the piss and like keeps writing in different little you know comedic bits about stuff they did that obviously didn't happen and everyone kind of gets involved and they've got the kind of the reincarnated corpse of of Connor Murphy who's played by Colton Ryan kind of reenacting or acting out all of the the different weird shit that they keep saying which is funny and is refreshing and is a good song and I enjoyed that bit of thing but it doesn't work at all tonally with the rest of the film at all because the film Whilst it has comedy, it is not in that sense. There is no sense of dark comedy about the rest of this film. There, this this one piece of thing, it stands out of like, it's it's all very light-hearted. And then you're going back to like a very serious, very depressing story that I just think is, it's, the, the, I think if the whole film was taught in, it was, was in the same tone of Sincerely Me, we would have had a 10 times better film. But it just feels really out of place. I think it's great in isolation, but I just think that, Whilst it, it's you know it's what I'd like to have seen, it just doesn't work. I think you're, you're going against a, a film that is kind of preaching the opposite message, and I, I just think that that it's annoying because I, I would like a, a dear Evan Hansen that kind of had Ben Ben Platt playing a character that is openly manipulative and openly creepy. That kind of is doing this as a thing, and he gets caught out. I would have loved that. You know, I think that, that the story that you don't worry about the problematic nature, you know, you could get some more comedy bits in because I actually think that some of the dialogue here was very funny. Whilst the plot was awful, a lot of the songs were very forgettable, you know, I have problems with, with you know, what they're trying to say here. But uh, some of the individual moments of the dialogue I thought were quite funny. I think that the jokes hit seven times out of ten. So, you know, I think that if we had a, a more comedic film that's in the tone of Sincerely Me, you know, a much better film, personally. I don't know if you would 
you probably strongly disagree, I guess. I wouldn't strongly disagree. Well, I disagree that it'd be a much better film. I agree. I would also like a story similar to this where the protagonist is openly manipulative. That would be interesting. But I think this is interesting as well. And I think Sincerely Me fits quite well. It's kind of, you know, this lie begins. And at first it's kind of like, oh, God, I feel awful about this lie. But, you know, at the same time, I'm I'm kind of comforting them. Oh, we need to lie about it. And it's kind of the... um, naive confidence that he has after telling this initial lie before the realisation sets in at how wrong it is that what he's done. And also, it's the comedic relief in it. Like you say, the, the subject matter is very heavy. This is about a teen who commits suicide and his grieving family. I think you need some kind of comedy in there somewhere and i think it fits very it well it doesn't there. work i think it does i don't work. think it does it's like you wouldn't have a clown coming out during midway for a funeral and then it's it, it if you had halfway through les miserables you know a quick you know i've never seen les miserables but halfway through les miserables you have a quick punch and judy show you know it, that's not how it, it doesn't work i mean like if the film was a bit more jovial in its nature it is you know, very jovial in its story, nature though people are laughing but in especially the not around you know? connor I mean, there are moments there. It's not Joe Williams' nature when it's talking about things like Connor and the lies itself. Those aren't used for comedic value. And with this film, it completely takes it to, to you know, to, up to 10. And they're getting Connor's re, you know, he's, you know, they're puppeting his corpse to dance around these songs. Does not work with the rest of the film they're in the way that Connor is It's an shown. imaginary thing. They're weaving it does not fit this with fiction. the way that Connor is shown. I think it does. Yeah, I understand that. But I will say that I think that, that Carlton Ryan was, was great. I agree. Right? It's one of the few performances that I can say was really good. Do you, can, do you not I'll think talk... that Amy Adams was good? Amy Adams is never good. But I don't think that she... No, I don't think she stood out. No. Do you I not think, think that Julianne Moore was I don't, good? I don't think Julianne... I thought Julianne Moore was, was better, was acceptable. I thought Caitlin Devil was okay. I thought Sten, uh, Stenberg, who played Alana, was quite good. I thought that... but. Yeah, Ben Platt was 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 awful. I, I thought that Amy Adams was was below average. I thought that um, the the Jared's actor Nick yeah. uh, Dadani was awful. I think that I thought that he was great. Probably, probably the worst actor of all um, was the father of of the of the dead child. Yeah, um, who played um, I can't remember his name as a stepdad. That was like a. That was a Disney Channel original movie performance from from him on a I big screen, so. big stage. I mean, I th- I think he was the the most notable. He just he, you know I think he was he was very much. Awful. The one of the things I want to talk about as well is the editing. The editing is horrific, and especially in the opening awful. song, it is weird. Yes, and they are trying to juggle so many different characters and songs and things, and they just fuck it up time after time and creates these especially like there are things that the plot actually gets confused a few times because they're showing you too much at once uh the editing is, is, is awful i also think this film really dragged there was no need for this one to be over two hours um and i you know i seem to be moaning about time all the time but here i just oh i mean i i think that the character of jared is is a bit of a problem as well because why? Basically, I've you know looking at the last few days uh, about about the film and the thing and, and the play is that basically Jared's character in the stage play um, is just a bit more of an asshole and is you know it basically is just 
someone that is just basically continually pretty slightly homophobic towards Evan and Connor, you know, constantly say, oh, you know, you always sound gay or you're gay, you're gay. So they try to fix that in the film by just having one line at the beginning of, oh yeah, by the way, I'm gay. <laughs> he is a homophobic character. He's just I there just so. to, just as to make little snide things of, oh, you sound gay. Oh, you, oh, you're a bit gay there, isn't you? Oh, you're gay. Like, it's but not then, like but that. Don't worry, I sucked like off that. a Brazilian guy. Yes, he is. He isn't like he's that. Just, because yes, when they're he, write, he says a couple of things, and when they're writing the emails, it does sound like they were having the secret love. Why were they keeping it a secret? Why was it such a secret? And then they're talking about things, and they're talking about, oh, I just want to be with you, I can't stop thinking about you. And he rightly says, this sounds kind of gay, they're going to think that you love us. And he it's says like, it about yes. 13 times throughout the he film. Doesn't. He doesn't. He keeps a handful saying of times. it all the time. And it's true. The way that Evan is presenting this friendship is like, oh, we were secretly friends. We didn't want anyone to know. We used to sneak off and have picnics together. And it's like, everyone's going to think that you love us, which is true. If someone said, you know, if some random kid turned up and said, my son wrote his suicide note to you, how do you know him? And it was, oh, we were friends very secretly. He had a secret email account that we emailed from. We used to sneak away to an apple orchard where we used to have picnics and climb trees and go on walks together. That definitely reads as, oh, they were definitely secretly in love. Well, I, don't, I think that's taking a bit far, but also the fact that he, again, he just, it's, he does it, time, he brings it out six, seven times. But also... The only thing there's something problematic about people calling a character homophobic in the stage play and then them going, let's be, in the first line of the film, mentioning you like sucking and fucking in the first line of the film. You know? Well, I well, didn't the first know that thing about you the say, stage play, but I don't, I don't know. Is, like, I think it is a good way to I, fix it, to be honest. This character who is infamously homophobic, we don't want him to be homophobic, so we're going to make him gay. So quickly, you suck and fuck. I, yeah. don't, I don't think that's... They could I don't have gone into it more, I agree. But I think it's a good way. He's also a really weird character in general. He talks... For all the talk about him not having friends and, oh, he's a family friend, they seem to be ha- fine hanging around together all the time. And yeah. he's fine talking to him. Like, he, he, he kind of does have a mate as much as he goes Do on you about want, it. Like, you know, shut up, my even. theory with this is two things. You just don't like musicals. And B, right. because you don't like musicals, you are taking this way too seriously. But I liked the things I don't dislike musicals. What I, musicals I think do you a, like? Uh, Greece, La La Land. Yes, uh, two in the Heights. Classic musicals, La La Land. Sixteen Oscar nominations in the Heights. In the conversation to get Oscar nominations, Dear Evan Hansen is one of the types of musicals like Mamma Mia, like Cinderella, that isn't going to get any awards, or if it does, it might get a songwriting one or something like that, but it's not going to win Best Picture, it's not going to be up for Best Picture, it's just a stupid musical that people who like musicals will enjoy and don't take seriously. Ultimately, extremely problematic. I don't think it is problematic. I don't think it's any more problematic than Greece or anything else is no more problematic than most rom-coms that go around now the end of the day if i was reviewing one of those films and it had a story as deplorable as this then i would mention it i don't I, think it is at the end of the day like there isn't that many musicals that i that you can say oh yeah sam famously dislikes i mean like what, what you know i don't what musicals do i okay the greatest showman right I, that's one musical i don't like yeah. Like I can, other than that, I haven't really ever shown it. Like I haven't really can't think of any musicals that I particularly hate. You know what I mean? Like 
I don't know, I'm trying to think of one. I like, you know, yesterday that counts. I like yesterday. Have you seen Walker, things you know. like Hairspray? I've seen the I've seen the film version of Hairspray. I thought it was fine. The film version of Hairspray, Mamma Mia, with uh, John Travolta. I've never seen one. Yeah, Mia. the John Travolta one. Yeah, I thought the Mamma Mia. I thought the the John Travolta Hairspray was fine. I, I didn't I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. But I thought it was fine. But it, it's musicals like that, like Sing. That I mentioned before we started recording. That's a fun musical. I, 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 I just don't think that you like musicals unless they're serious musicals, or you can just say they're completely inoffensive, and I can just ignore them. I mean, I, I think there's a lot. There's probably loads of the genre that I'd love, and loads of the genre that I hate, the same as any other genre. I think it's unfair to say that I only have an opinion because of. My previous, I think that the problem I have with this film fundamentally is not the music. If the music was, if the exact same songs were in a story that I loved, I would kind of think, because for example, take La La Land, right? The songs aren't that memorable, right? That, would you agree? I can't remember mm-hmm. any of the songs in La La Land. I'm sure that you wouldn't probably couldn't remember off the top of your head either. The, the songs don't matter. At the end of the day, the plot and the acting and the, say, the editing, all of that is just as important. If no, not more. I no, you know, I disagree. Because, because let's say the Greatest Showman. My problem isn't the music. I, I think the music is a bit cheesy. The problem is the music. I think that the story is awful. I think that the performances are so cheesy. I think that you know Zach Efron's character and the other details that make me very angry. Right, the the, the 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 musical element is not the important thing. I think this is a, an awful story. I think it's so you know okay, suspension of disbelief, sure, but like there are so many fucking little bits here and there, and there's so many, like why does he email her that pit thing? Why doesn't he just show her a picture of his phone? You know, what, you know, like how why do they carefully show him printing out the his message and then oh no, you like you see him scroll over, click print, go over to think print print. Like all the thing. Oh no, I did it on accident. Like, what a strange decision to like. There are so many. Why do they? Why does everyone now think that the parents are so bad because of the of that suicide note? He doesn't even mention his parents. Why do they? They were fine with him killing himself. That's the but point. Apparently, that suicide note means that that the, the parents are bad. I don't see what the relevance because he didn't mention is. his parents. He mentioned his friend because his parents were never there for him, so he didn't bother to mention them in his suicide note. That's an awful lot of subtext for everybody. It's not subtext. To they up. say it. The comments on the well, Instagram that they no, show are no, saying, no, 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 has anyone no, no, else got no, a problem no, with no, that no, that he no. didn't mention his parents? No, no, no I'm saying, um, how come the entire internet seemed to pick up the subtext of the suicide note that you think, how would they know he didn't write more than one? How would they know this wasn't specifically to Evan? Why would he mention his parents specifically to Evan? I think like, you're nitpicking at this point. I think things like that, that's just nitpicking. And I, I completely disagree with you saying the music is just as important as the editing and things like that. They're not. Then in a musical, editing is not as important as the music. In a musical, I said said this when we did In the Heights, and I said this when we did Cinderella. In a musical, the most important thing is the music. It can have bad editing, bad cinematography, bad everything. But as long as the music is good and the music is fun, I'll have a good time. And that's what I feel. When I watch Mamma Mia, I don't watch Mamma Mia and think, oh, this cinematography is masterful. This is absolute. I mean, this is direction that rivals Scorsese. An, it's adequate. It does the job. It's not fantastic. But the music is great. The music is fun. So Mamma Mia is one of my favourite musicals. The, and that's I what I mean I, about that, you not liking You can't dumb down general. the genre. Like, it hasn't got substance. No, At the end of the day, they wrote, a, but they like wrote comedy. a story they thought was good. It's like comedy. You can but, have a comedy like Doctor Strangelove, which is well-made and funny comedy 
that's at the top end of comedy. And then you can just have ridiculous, stupid comedy, like Melissa McCarthy comedies, where they're not. But I well would made, not rate those but highly. They're, fun. they're not good. They're not good films. But they're fun. But they're not fun. They are. But, but regardless, at the end, of that, I would not rate those films highly because I don't think they're good films. They're not entertaining. Their plot is. It's not. If it, at the end of the day, there are more than just one thing to a film. Okay, sure. The 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 music is important. I mean, the music here isn't is bland at best. But anyway, even if the music wasn't shit, there you couldn't make a musical which was seven excellent tunes and the rest of it was advocating for why it's you know fine to you know be racist or something. Or, no, obviously you think, not. At the end of the day, the plot still has meaning, and I still sat through two hours and seventeen minutes, the majority of which wasn't singing. At the end of the day, two hours and seventeen minutes, I agree. Probably. More of it isn't singing than yeah, it is singing. That's what I meant. I said that to JL when I was messaging him about it. There wasn't enough songs. There was too long between the musical pieces. There needed to be more songs. There needed to be more singing. I said that. I mean, I think there was a fine amount of music to get us through the plot, and it was still, you know, there was. I, I think the, the, the amount of songs. I think there is needed fine. to be more. There were several times where I was sat there thinking, "This is just a boring film. We need more music." That is. That is a. We can categorically say that is one thing that I didn't have a problem with that you did. So we can say that in one aspect you prefer, I prefer Dear yeah. Evan Hansen. Now this, you. I just, just want to say, this is making it seem like I'm a Dear Evan Hansen stand. I'm not. I don't think that this was particularly good. It isn't a fantastic musical. I just don't think that it's anywhere near as bad as you're saying it is. Like when I watch The Greatest Showman, I agree, Greatest Showman, the plot is vapid. The performances are incredibly cheesy. But the music is fun. So I enjoy it. I enjoy watching The Greatest Showman. The Greatest Showman music still pops up on my playlist when I press shuffle because the music we're is not, fun. I'll, I'm not so talking about again. how fun this is. I mean, this film isn't fun. It was long and it was fair. You know, it wasn't. It was never boring. I can say it was never boring, but it was long and this music wasn't that good. But I wouldn't necessarily call it fun. But even if it was fun, that takes away. I mean, I thought Thunder Force in a, in a way was kind of enjoyable. In it was kind of I, I never got bored watching it, and you know. You know, old was intriguing, but at the end of the day, the plot was awful and the, the acting was dreadful. And here, no amount of—I mean, even if the, the songs were excellent, it wouldn't hold up as a great film. So take La La Land; the songs aren't great, but the film is excellent, so it still stands up as an excellent film. Here, the songs aren't great, and the fucking film is isn't great. The the plot isn't good. The acting isn't good. At the end of the day, like I think that just dumbing down mu- musicals to just how fun they are and just how good the music is is actually disrespecting. The, the genre and some of the more intelligent script writing and you can be campy and fun I mean the, yeah okay you can say about the Greece and modern view that you know it's, there is problematic elements to Greece but Greece is a story that isn't doesn't have not is is in, you say, inoffensive still has very good music and and at the end of the day the plot isn't bad okay it's not amazing but the plot is fine the plot is good right the plot here is bad along with the music being bad along with the performances being bad and to say that it doesn't all matter I think it's disrespectful to the genre in general. I think there's a lot of good screenplays out there. No, I didn't. I don't think it doesn't matter. I just think the music is the most important in a musical, which is why things like La La Land, where the music, it's not about the music, whereas a musical like The Greatest Showman, it's about the music. La La Land, it is literally a musical, but it's less a musical and just a film with music in it, because it's never about the music. The music rarely moves the plot along. A lot of the musical numbers, a lot of the singing in in um, La La Land is just, this is happening now, here's a musical number. And I have said since I first saw La La, saw La, La Land, La La Land is a great film, one of my favourite films of the past decade or so. 
but the music isn't good, which is why I prefer musicals like Chicago, which has a great plot, a great story, and the music is great. Even though I think mm-hmm. the cinematography of La La Land, the direction of La La Land, the screenwriting of La La Land, and potentially the acting in La La Land is better than in Chicago, Chicago has good performances, good writing, good direction, good cinematography, and the music is great. Therefore, I prefer Chicago because it's a musical and the music is the most important thing. In the same sense that if you go into a comedy, regardless of how well made it is, if it's not funny, then it's not going to be a good comedy. You're not going to come out and say, yeah, that was amazing comedy. It was hilarious. It was brilliant. If it wasn't funny, the most important aspect of a musical is the music. It depends on, from case to case basis, take being John Malkovich, right? That isn't that funny. Okay, is decently funny but it isn't laugh out loud and I certainly wouldn't describe it as hilarious yet it still is absolutely excellent despite it being a comedy right yeah but I think it's more of a dark comedy it's a black comedy it's not meant to be laugh out loud comedy but at the end of the day Dear Evan Hansen you know it fails fundamentally in in all of the 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 characters you said you know acting cinematography music where I don't think it did whatever but obviously yeah of course it's all subjective but also in the same um, vein of, I mean, I, you know, I said earlier, like, is Amy Adams good in anything? Like, at the end of the day, like, I haven't seen Arrival, so I don't know about that. But judging off, you know, what I've seen of her recently, you know, you think of this, you think about um, also Hillbilly Elegy. The whole thing about Hillbilly Elegy is that Hillbilly Elegy's um, cinematography was was fine. It was actually, Hillbilly Elegy's cinematography was quite good, and Glenn Close was good. But at the end of the day, I felt like it p- portrayed a story that was so, again, I felt like the Hillbilly Edge story was damaging to exist. I thought that it was it was bad that Hillbilly Edge existed because the message was so bad and it was classist and it was disgusting, a lot of the things they promoted and, and suggested. Um, I don't necessarily think Dear Evan Hansen is as bad, but at the end of the day, it, I wouldn't be talking about this as much if it was just a lacklustre Netflix you know, plot of, of the, the musical. Then the, I think this plot is genuinely you know, despicable. And that, that is one of the reasons. I think it's maybe a slightly superlative, but I think that the, the, the story is really grim and it's very... And I, I don't think that it, it is handled in the way that it should be for how actually bad his actions are. I think that... The, this wouldn't be as important if it wasn't so outwardly bad. I mean, it, it's not like this is just below average. This stinks to me, of course. Um, I just everything subjective. I I just don't agree. I don't think what he does is that bad. You're talking about him as though he's, you know, killed people. He's not killed people. All he did was lie to people, and yet it wasn't good, and it snowballed, and it got progressively worse. But when it reached breaking point, he told the truth, and he lost everything. And yeah, what he did was bad. I'm not sitting here saying, oh, what he did, he was great. He was so well-intentioned. He's got such a good heart. I do think that it was wrong what he did, obviously. But I think you presented it and saying that it's, you know, it's deplorable. This is despicable. He's a sociopath. He should be presented as a sociopath. I just don't think that's true. He, he What he does isn't that bad. I don't think his intention was ever to manipulate people. His intention was to comfort people. And to at the at very first, it was to get out of an awkward situation. Uh, 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 yeah, far. I think the first one, fair enough, right? But after that, it, it, it gets worse and worse. I don't think we're going to get any further here. You know, we mm. obviously just disagree. Um, obviously, uh, this is this is one of the most passionate us to have been. And I'm really annoyed um, that this is the most passionate I've been because I don't even like this that much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I, I, I personally, you know, I think this is... 
one of the worst films of the year, if not one of the worst films of the decade. Um, you know, I, I, I really despise this. Um, and uh, that, that's the, the honest truth. I, I guess, like, I maybe I'm nitpicking a bit more because of how much I hated it. I thought maybe there are things that I would have accepted if I, you know, maybe I wouldn't have mentioned the homophobia, which I did think was annoying. Uh, or maybe I wouldn't say about, you know, the emails if other things were thing but i think all of it together provided what i can only describe as a complete and utter shit show um for me i would be struggling to rate this more than one and a half out of ten i mean i give the half for a couple decent performances um and one song i liked maybe two out of ten i give it two out of ten well i i think the performances were good i don't think there was a particularly bad performance in this I don't think Ben Platt was amazing because of the reasons that we've said, but I don't think anyone was bad. I think the cinematography was serviceable. I think the direction was serviceable. Um, and I enjoyed the music. And I think fun might be the wrong word because obviously it's not the kind of film that you have fun watching. It's about teen suicide. But I enjoyed it. You know, I enjoyed watching it. I found the emotional beats worked. And at times I was laughing with it and often I was laughing at it. And that's fine. I was At the end of the day, I was still laughing, even if I was laughing at it. And I had a good time watching it. So I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. That's probably... That has got to be, right? Five difference. Like, that's a big between difference. Between 2 yeah. out of 10. And so that's probably the most we're going to get. Um, now this... We were talking earlier, like, last week, uh, with June about how hard it was to... And you said it's the hardest man in the match. Yeah. For me, this is the <laughs> hardest man in the match I've ever given. Because I quite obviously... Well, I quite I quite quickly identified Jason Bateman as the best thing about Thunder Force. Yeah. For me, I mean, I'm going to have to let you go first because I'm looking here. I just don't know who to say. I'm going to have to look it up because I have only just finished watching it. And... I need to find and find people's names. I mean, for me, again, I just, I, I don't know who, I think, uh, it's not a ma- a Mandler. Her name's not Amanda. It's Amandler. Stenberg, yeah, Stenberg, who plays Alana. That's a strange name. Um, my 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 dad was having conversations to me with last week about um, John Carter, and. Um, Talking about like why, how, like, and I'm, you remember John Carter? Is that the one with um, the rock? There's a rock in John Carter. Or am I thinking of something else? Um, it was you know one of the I most expensive films. Else. In 2012, it was like one of the most expensive films made at the time, and I think yeah, it cost through 200. Oh no, it's not it the rock. I'm million. Of else. Yeah, um, and. It was the Princess Mars adaptation that, that was like an awful box of a slop. And part of it came from the fact that it was called, well, most of it, I think, came from the fact that no one knew it was about because it's called John Carter, which sounds like it was named after like someone's lawyer. And I don't think necessarily naming something after someone is a bad concept in general. Like, I think there's the situations where people know who they are. So, like, it, it kind of works like with, um, oh, what's that film with, um, Oh, you know, when, when people have already known people, um, Aaron Brockovich, that, that works. Yeah. Uh, and also when it's like a bit of a weird name, like a Forrest Gump, I think it's maybe okay, especially, you know, you know, I think that that one kind of works. But I think even though that it's, it, it's cool in the narrative of the film because of the events of the Aaron Hansen, I, I, 
think that just because he's got such a boring name that Dear Evan Hansen is an awful title. I don't think so. I think it's a good title. I think it works in the context of the film quite well. Now, that isn't you being... Um, I know I, I can confirm that isn't you being... Uh, what's the word? Like, uh, devil's advocate or something. Because you did say before the podcast that you like the name. Yes, yeah, I, I do so. think it's a good name. And it's also, yeah. coming after... Because it's a film, it's based on a very popular Broadway production. So... The Broadway production was successful yeah. with that name, so they're obviously going to stick with the same name. And I think it's a, I think it's a good name. Yeah, it's not for me. Um, but obviously, you know, sorry. I, I, yeah, yeah, it's not with it. It's the same. Like, you know, I, I understand that it did very well, but I, uh, I think there are a lot of great bands that have got awful names that still managed to be successful, like the Beatles, which is a shit name, but you know, they've still been as successful as they are. Um, I don't know if you've heard of them. Okay, so have you got to a man of the match yet? Um, I I'm gonna have to play it safe and go to my kind of regular musical man of the match, which is the sound team, because I think it's very difficult to sort the sound out in a musical, especially with this, because in this, as much as I said like it's kind of a staple of certain types of musicals, the amount of times in this that they switch from talking to singing immediately is difficult. And I'd imagine that quite a lot of the singing in this was recorded in a studio although it seemed like some of it was recorded on set. And I know for yeah, a fact a too. that recording music, recording singing on a set rather than in a studio and then dubbing it over is insanely difficult. So I'm going to give it to the sound team. And that is Eugene Gearty, Philip Stockton and Michael Barry. I have zero issue and actually will say that I thought that um, the sound editing was was fine and quite good and the levels were quite good so i am also going to give it to the sound team for the same purpose eugene Gearty, we agree on something? And michael barry yeah we're going to agree on something. <laughs> i'll give it to the sound team as well because i have no problems with the sound editing um and that takes us well that was a lot longer than i thought that was going to be that was like was, an hour <laughs> of just dear avon henson um and i feel like uh we have got a fractured relationship and we'll forevermore have a fractured relationship i don't think i don't think i'm coming back next week Mm-hmm. Well, I'm literally not, actually, um, am I? <laughs> actually, yeah, you're not. Yeah, we're doing Halloween next week, and, and you obviously have an issue with horror films. Yeah. Um, so, whew, have you got any mini-reviews or anything to talk about to, to break it up, or we're going to straight into Festus Patch? Have you got any news to, to throw at us? Uh, I think we're ready to dive straight into Festus Patch. I've not seen anything new since uh, we last recorded, so I don't have anything to say. And as far mm-hmm. as I'm aware, there isn't any new news apart from... Nothing. Yeah. The. <laughs> and it, yeah, the discourses began about um, the Eternals already. I don't know if you've oh, seen yes. this and participated in it slightly. <laughs> yeah. Because um, I, yeah, I, oh yeah, I replied to it. So <laughs> the initial reviews have not been good. I've, yeah. uh, I've been quite mixed, I believe, uh, for for the Eternals, and I have being quite out there. I think I think that judging off the trailers, uh, it looks very generic, which is the opposite of what I wanted from from Chloe Zhao. Um, you know, knowing that it's like such a big director coming in. But then I saw you were saying the other week that she hadn't didn't use her she normally writes on her own, she doesn't yeah. she get to write this. She normally she writes uses the same solo. editor. She she writes yeah. her scripts on her own, she edits, she produces, there are four credited writers, she isn't an editor, she hasn't edited this and she isn't a producer either. So 
I think. I was hoping that Chloe Zhao would be able to elevate Marvel, but it seems like Marvel. Well, we still we still don't know. Could just, but it could we could be it, wrong. The reviews could just be wrong. So if it's awful, we're just going off the fact that it's if it's changed. awful, if it's good. I will blame Marvel. If it's great, I will blame Chloe Zhao. Yeah, Simple exactly. As that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, and I respect you for being honest about that. Yeah. Okay, so um, the French Dispatch. So the French Dispatch is the newest film um, from writer, director, producer, um, aficionado uh, Wes Anderson, um, which takes the form. It both looks at and is formed as a magazine, uh, the fictional uh, French Dispatch uh, of the Liberty Kansas Evening Sun, uh, which is a a kind of what's the word? It's like a pamphlet inside. A, a newspaper, isn't it? It's like a, a secondary newspaper to a, a larger company, but looks at the lives of a um, in in the in a French uh, city, um, and what's the, what city is it? It begins with E. I can't remember the name. Oh of the god! Whoa! Uh, it's... Is it L? Oh man! So I guess we're there. <laughs> Ennui, is it? Is it Ennui? Ennui, Ennui, Ennui. So it's set in Ennui. So it, the French Dispatch is a newsletter, news magazine, ennui. sorry. Just Googled it. That set, set in, in, in Ennui, and it's different writers played by different top actors um, have different sections of the film and of the newspaper looking at different parts of life in Ennui. And the film is very much formed to that. It begins with the intro, which kind of this plot talks about what it is. And then it goes through um, an intro by one writer, a, a travel blog by one writer, which is um, who played by um, Owen Wilson. Then we get a story from J.K.L. Berenson, who's played by um, Tilda Swinton. Then we get another story um, by Lucinda Cremens, who's played by um, Francis McDormand. And then we get a story by Robert Wright, uh, portrayed by... Um, Jeffrey Wright. Um, so they each kind of have their different systems. One story is about a, a, a artist who's in prison, who makes modern art um, whilst he's kind of in love with their prison officer. We have another story about a student revolution, um, which, you know, called the chessboard revolution. And then we have another one, which is about a, pol- a police chef who gets thrown into a plot that involves the, um, commissioner's son being kidnapped um and it's all a kind of different a wide ensemble uh, that all comes together for a number of different stories uh, and it, just before um we get into to your review first here um and kind of you know what your your feelings are on with anderson general i guess um i guess could quickly just just for anyone who's unaware but there's not going to be spoilers here by the way uh, for any specific story i don't think there's any need for spoilers here at all it's really not the kind of film that needs them um but the the story up, opens with with Bill Murray's character, who's the owner of the Fresh Dispatch, dying. Um, so the the ensemble contains Bill Murray, Owen Wilson, Elizabeth Moss, um, Angelica Houston, um, Tilda Swinton, Vanessa Del Toro, Adrian Brody, Leah Sadu, um, Francis McDormand, Lena Kudry, Timothy Chalamet, uh, Christoph Waltz. Um, Jeffrey Wright, Matthew Almerick, Stephen Park, Edward Norton, Willem Dafoe, Saoirse Ronan, um, 
has anyone else not said? I think that's pretty much it. There's probably a fair few actors that are, you know, fairly big for some people, uh, you know, that I'm not as aware of being famous, but it's, uh, oh, Jarvis Cock is in it apparently as well. Oh, oh Jarvis Cock is, is plays, uh, is a sing, he, he does the musical number here. And I'm, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Angelica Houston is, isn't in it. She's the narrator. Is she? Yes, the narrator is Angelica Houston. Is she? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So, um, I didn't recognize yeah, large, her Jason Schwartzman's in it as well. I forgot to mention him. Um, Liv Schreiber, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of people. So, um, what do you think of the Friends Dispatch? What's your experience with Wes Anderson? What did you think of the Friends Dispatch? This is obviously this has been one of my most ex- anticipated films all year. I've been so hyped for this. Um, what did you think of it? Uh, well, I am also a big fan of Wes Anderson. I like his films a lot. Him, my favorite of his is the Grand Budapest Hotel. So I was very excited for this going in, very anticipated for it. And I have a feeling that this episode is going to get even more interesting because I didn't like it. (laughs) Well, I think I didn't like it. That's a bit hyperbolic. I didn't not like it. I just didn't like it, if that makes sense. I think, in theory, this is a really interesting idea. Presenting a film like a magazine and having three very distinct different sections and three very distinct different stories. It's a very interesting theory. And I did like all of the stories, and I think it would have worked... This would have been an exceptional series of short films if it was story one with the painting was short film, story two with the revolution, revision to a manifesto was a short film, and then Jeffrey Wright's story at the end was a short film. I think this would have been an incredible series of short films but as a feature length film it just doesn't work for me because it's split into three sections you get every kind of 40 minutes or so or maybe even less than that i'm not sure on the runtime um you get a whole new cast whole new bunch of characters and for me i found myself getting invested into the story and interested in the story properly kind of gauging what it was fully and accepting it and understanding it about 20 minutes into the story, 25 minutes into the story, and then it ended. And then a new cast came in, new characters and a new story. And then I got on board with this character, these characters and this story and this chapter, and then that ended. And then there was a new one. And by the time it happened a third time, I was like, okay, so I'm an hour and 20 minutes or however long, an hour into this film, and I'm starting again. I'm, I was, I wasn't bored, but I wasn't interested. I could have, you know, the first one, the novelty was there and it was quite interesting. Second one, I was like, okay, this is getting a bit repetitive. And when the third one started, I thought, I I can't wait for this to be over now because I'm going to get interested in it it, and then it's going to end. So it, it just, that kind of whole structure wasn't for me. Although all of the stories separately I enjoyed, but when you put them together and I watched them one after the other presented as one film, didn't particularly do it for me. Which I think is, is kind of an issue with making a film in the format of a magazine, because obviously a magazine is a type of media and it's a format in and of itself, and that I don't think it translates well to film, or at least it didn't for me. And I think the cast was mostly great. Weirdly, I have an issue with Francis McDormand in this film. 
Hmm. She, really? She is. As I, I have said several times, I think she is the best actress working today. And I love Wes Anderson as well, so it's neither of their fault. However, Frances McDormand is exceptional at playing normal people. You know, in Nomadland, which is obviously one of my favourite films that just came out, won Best Picture, and she won Best Actress... She plays just a normal person, and she does it so well that she is surrounded by actual real people, and she blends in flawlessly. And her acting style is hyper-natural, and that is the complete antithesis of Wes Anderson, who is hyper-stylized. His writing is hyper-stylized, his direction, the cinematography is hyper-stylized, and I just think that Frances McDormand's naturalism and Wes Anderson's style stylization they kind of clashed at times and it didn't work for me it's not the fault of wes anderson because i love his style mm. and all the other actors mm. worked fantastically with it but francis mcdormand who is a fantastic at portraying just ordinary people it didn't mm. quite do it for me because she's playing you know wes anderson films they're all characters they're not necessarily people they're all characters and i do love that but kind of clashed with McDormand's acting style for me and it didn't particularly work for me I still think that she gave a good performance but it clashed with the film's uh, kind of tone for me, she was trying to give a very natural performance which is what she does and Anderson was directing her to be very stylized which is what he does and they just didn't mould together very well Um, but other than her it feels weird. I hate insulting President McDormand because I really like her. <laughs> <laughs> but other than her, the cast was fantastic. I think Tilda Swinton mm. was. I think Tilda Swinton, Tilda, Tilda Swinton, and Benicio del Toro. They were the two highlights for me. They were the two standouts. Um, it, it's actually. I'm just looking. So I'm. I'm kind of showing my hand here. I, I like the film. Yeah. Right. To to what extent I'll go into further. Um, but just looking at the cast list, like I almost every single person, I'm like wow, they were actually really good. They're probably my standout. And yeah. then look down there, actually maybe them. Like for me, like I think first my first thought was Jeffrey Wright because I think that him when he's describing emotions and, and mm. the smells because his character, um, if who haven't seen the film, uh, Roback Wright is the, the main the, the the character that Jeffrey Wright plays who leads the and writes the third story um he's got this ability that he can remember everything that he's ever written yeah like verbatim but also he's obsessed with food and the memory and the smell and all of that and when those kind of long monologues i thought were were excellent i thought he portrayed that excellently but then i also thought that you know i you know i thought timothy chalamet was excellent i thought that tilda swinton was excellent it's it really is an ensemble yeah. piece where everyone mentioned i thought that you know i thought elizabeth moss was really good with very little time yeah she was barely in it but she was very good yeah i think actually i'd agree, i think that if i had to pick one which is very hard I think I might pick Tilda Swinton because it's a very un-Tilda Swinton performance. Yeah. It really does come out of my comfort zone here. It's very and comedy, that that her performance as well. Yeah. And I think that her and Benicio Del Toro were the, were the highlights. And as I said last week, maybe it's just the films that I've seen him in, but I have never particularly cared for Timothy Chalamet. I said last week when we did Dune, I liked him in Dune. I liked him in The French Dispatch as well. Maybe he's growing on me. Maybe my opinion of him is changing because I thought he was great in the French Dispatch as well. Um, I I did like um, Jeffrey Wright as well. I think he gave a great performance. But as I said, by the time we got to the third story, 
I was a little bit bored and I was kind of hoping for it to end, which is a shame because I do think the third story would be my favourite because I think the concept behind it, there's a little animated sequence in there, which is really great. But because it was the third one, I was just kind of, it lacked the emotional punch of Anderson's other films for me. It just, mm. it you know, it, this was just, to me, because it was so brief, each story, and this is an hour and a half or however long it is, I don't know. It felt like Wes Anderson didn't have time to inject the personality and emotion into the film like he normally does. So it was just an hour and a half of Wes Anderson, Wes Andersoning, you know. I also found it very mm. weird, I don't know if you noticed this, there are a lot of camera movements in this that aren't just up, down, left, right. He moves the camera several times, which is very, yes. very unlike Wes Anderson, and it really took me aback. Like, there's one... But I think it really worked. I agree, I do think it works as well. Like, there's the scene in the dinner table in the third story where it kind of moves around the table... And that worked. But the one that stood out to me the most was Revisions of a Manifesto, when Francis yes. McDormand has a bit of an, a disagreement with... Um, I've forgotten the character's name. Who? who, who? Um, the girl in that story. Timothy Chalamet's love oh, interest. Right, yeah. She, that's... Um, I don't remember. The, it's, uh, Lena Coudry is the actress. Yeah. What's the character? Juliet, obviously. Juliet. Um, yeah. They have a bit of a disagreement. And the camera kind of, it's like he picks it up off the stand and moves into Francis McDormand. And I was like, whoa, this is weird. This is unusual. Yeah. But it really worked. Yeah. So I did like that, that it wasn't, it was very Wes Anderson, but he added in these new things as well. Because obviously, normally it's just the camera is restricted to up, down, left, right. And this gave us something different, which I liked. But like I said, overall, this just didn't work for me i didn't enjoy it very much and i was kind of bored well i think i greatly disagree but i don't think this is going to be another hour of arguing because i think this is essentially a matter of taste uh i think it to to, to quote someone else who's a little bit more well-versed in film than I. Um, I listened to Mark Como's review of The French Dispatch um, the other day, and and he kind of said that he compared this to, to Tenet, um, in that, which is a strange comparison to make, I guess. Um, but he compared it to Tenet because he said that um, Tenet was Christopher Nolan at his most Christopher Nolan. He got to overindulge in everything that made him him. Um, and this film is Wes Anderson, Wes Anderson-ing, for the yeah. for the full time full, full yeah. this is the most Wes Anderson. Um, this is him off the rails. Yeah. Um. I, and and you love Tenet and I love Tenet, and and we kind of agree that it works for Nolan. I love the, the for Anderson as well. I, I think that personally, you know, I didn't feel like I was overindulging it. I've, I've you know people saying that it's just it's just too much. It looks so pretty, but it's it's too much to take in. And you know, I say. Kermit, the same review described it like French fancies. They look beautiful, but you can't get through the third bite or whatever. For me, I thought the Fresh Batch was entertaining, interesting, beautiful, and absolutely exactly what I wanted from it. Um, I loved the, the, the main reason why I don't think we're going to disagree much and we're not going to argue like we did for the Aaron Hansen is because, as simple as, I loved the format. 
that was it was i thought it was great i thought it was interesting entertaining i want to see more films i'd like to see another i'd like to see a series of films like this anthology style with Wes Anderson that would be great for me I'd love to sit I'd happily sit for all the hours I'd love happily sit for another three stories in this film you didn't it wasn't for you you didn't think it really worked you got pulled out of the story I don't think there's much to, to argue with we just don't agree on that it's just not artist but I, I I personally the absolute opposite for you I loved being pulled into a story being given just the right amount just just getting to love these characters getting really interested in getting just the per just the pure story no un, no unnecessary guff just a really interesting really curious story that's always funny always funny with these really you know it feels like i spent a month with tilda swinton's character jkl berenson realistically it's six minutes of screen time whatever but the, the the you feel so like you know them so in-depthly and then you you just you're wanting more of them and it gets ripped away and i'm straight into the next story and you fall in love all over again and you get ripped away and you and i i love that i love that i love just seeing just the perfect little instances of each one i liked some of the stories more than others i thought that revisions to a manifesto was the weak point um personally I, I i don't know if you have a rating of the three i thought the concrete masterpiece which was the jk alberenson one that starts off with benicio del toro who's playing the um mentally ill artist that was excellent that was the highlight of the film for me um and i didn't necessarily love the second story as much i didn't love the third one as much as the first but the the concrete masterpiece and also the the traveling the travel section which is done by Wes uh, done by uh, Owen Wilson's character as well I love that as well but I just I love just getting the little tastes of these little stories and for me I couldn't say I could have sat for a lot longer this film was 103 minutes long right but it felt like it was five minutes long I was so quickly just thrown through it I, I'm I am surprised you 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 were bored because I I felt this film never gave the opportunity to um but you know, I just I think that that the, the individual performances, the interesting, curious little stories, and of course, you know, and and no matter what you think, you know, you'll I know that you'll agree that this film, as always, as always, there just looked beautiful. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, it's I I actually not very well versed with that. I've not seen many with the films at all, but so I'm quite I'm quite new to the guy, but I know his reputation precedes him when it comes to. To looks and and obviously that, that I'm not going to take away from the cinematographer Robert Yeoman, um, who I think is someone he always works with, with uh, yeah he does he always works with uh, with, with Hanson, and it's the cinematography and and the, the blocking and all that stuff, but it's also you know the wonderful lighting, the wonderful set direction, the wonderful costumes. I mean everything here is it's. You know, so that that's the quote that I always say about Star Wars: every frame is a, a poster. You know, it's the same here. You know, it's just so good looking. And I, I I don't know how you felt about the constant switching between black and white and color. What, what did you think of that? Because that is something that is done throughout the film. Yeah, I thought that was fine. I quite it, I, I don't particularly uh, a few times I understand I understood why they did it, but a lot of the time it I feel like it went over my head and it felt like a novelty. Like, and in the first one particularly, I got it. I got why they were doing it, because that was about art and modern art. And they often portrayed the paintings with a wider aspect ratio and in colour. And then they cut back to the people and it'd be in, you know, the thinner aspect ratio and black and white. And I liked that. But the farther on it went, it 
kind of started to feel a bit like a novelty and I didn't get why they did it but I didn't have an issue with it because like you've said regardless of whether it was in colour or switching between the two or if the aspect ratio was changing every 30 seconds it always looked brilliant so I didn't particularly yeah. care even if I don't understand why they did it at times yeah there were definitely times great. where I was unsure why they did yeah definitely were times but I'm assuming there is some justifiable reasons oh, but yeah. I thought yeah I think it was interesting and I think that a lot of the times that you know these films how can you make a Wes Anderson film even more beautiful especially with the colour palette you know the colour grade is so good and I think sometimes ripping that away meant that once you saw it again in that colour it made it even more especially with a revision to a manifesto and and I think some of the scenes there where, you know, it, it's, a lot of it is very, you know, it's in a war zone almost. And it, it, a lot of it feels very, you know, you know, like, like some 50s war film. But then once you get a, a taste of the colour again, you think, wow, look at this wonderful world that we're living in, that you're getting to experience. Again, you know, I, I think the performances were, were, were top to bottom excellent. I didn't have a problem with Francis McDormand's, but I do say, I understand what you, what you mean. Um... I think I'd say for me, yeah, she definitely wasn't one of the standouts, but I think it worked to a degree. I think the juxtaposition of her character in in Anderson's world felt interesting, um, you know. But it's it, again, it's it's mainly a, a matter of of thing of personal taste. I think a lot of people won't enjoy this film. Uh, I think a lot of people love it. It's just whether the nature of the the magazine format necessarily takes you and also how much you vibe with each of the stories because even if you love the format you might have just not enjoyed any of the individual stories for me they all worked for me here um I say especially the concrete mass speech which might be up there as like the best 25 minutes of, of cinema i've seen for a while um yeah i, I agree so, the concrete masterpiece is the best one and i think that 25 minutes or however long it was was perfect and brilliant which is why i was saying i think they'd work brilliantly as short films because i understand that i i, I like the the magazine format yeah. i think that it was cool to get little sections but i mean if you're there i'm fair enough you know yeah it, it's it's a tough one because i just feel like i can't argue i can't disagree i don't know what yeah. disagreement to make I know because it just feels like it was just a matter of t- i wouldn't i couldn't argue with someone that this is a good film but yeah. for me, I loved it. Um, I think the score as well is really, really good. Yeah, actually. and it's very distinct um, for each three of the stories. Yeah, which I like. And, and the main song that is used in the it's in the it's in the Vision to the Manifesto. It's used in the trailer, but I think it's Vision yeah. to the Manifesto where it's got that that song from that uh, Tip Top, which um, you know doesn't exist, or whatever. But you know, yeah. it's called Tip Top. Um, that. Uh, that song is a fucking banger. Yeah, I love that. Um, so it's Jarvis Cocker, but yeah, that, that that oh, so good. Okay, so yeah, I, I think I haven't actually versed at just how much I like this film because I, I really do. Um, so when it comes to ratings, um, I'm gonna say I don't want to give the half rating or not. I'm gonna give it a nine. Ooh. I wasn't sure if nine and a half or just nine. But I'm giving it a nine. Uh, I feel like we should just end this here because I'm going to give it less than the French. I'm going to give the French Dispatch a lower score than I gave Dear Evan Hansen. Um, I'm going to give the French Dispatch a six and a half. Okay, I mean that's not awful. You know, yeah. I thought you were going to say you're going to give it lower than I gave Dear Evan Hansen. I was going to say well, that <laughs> would be harsh. At that point, I would. Start that would be fun. One out um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, I would say my, my two most anticipated films, two of my, 
I, I kept saying two all week. I've been saying two of my three most anticipated films came out in the same week, which was *Friends Dispatch*, uh, *June*, and then yeah. uh, *Last Night in Soho*, which comes out next week. But realistically, I actually this is a different point, and maybe one that you shouldn't be making because we've been going so over the length. But um, I've also realised that actually I probably would uh, I'd bite your hand off for *House of Gucci* just as much as yes. any of these films. Like I'm so excited for *House of Gucci*. As well. um, but um, yeah, okay. So *Man in the Match*. This is actually not a hard one. Actually, but, yeah, it's relatively yeah. easy for me um, as well. Yeah, uh, mine's uh, Wes Anderson, but I'm giving it to Wes Anderson. Obviously, there's the directorial aspect, yeah. the writing aspect, um, and and the the um, obviously producing. Obviously, I wouldn't give it to him for producing. What's the point? Um, all of which are you know directing, writing, both great for different reasons. Um, but I, I I love the the way that he's managed to make three little distinct stories here. But I think what's so great is that they all feel so believable and they're all so interesting and they're all so funny. Um, and they made me want to go back to this world. I really want to see more of each of these characters. And I know I'm not. And that's the kind of beautiful tragedy to it. And I, I think that I'm going to give it to the writer, Wes Anderson. Fair enough. That is understandable. And yeah, uh, this was a relatively easy decision for me as well, because I think... Um, my favourite thing about every Wes Anderson film is the way it looks, the way that it's directed, the way that it's shot, but also what's there to capture and what's there to direct. So I'm going to give it to Adam Stockhausen, who is the production designer, because I think the production designer oh, right. yeah. is excellent. Yeah, completely fair, completely fair. Yeah. I've got a bit of a problem. So Pray a tell. few weeks ago, my ranked list which is not important and it's just something I do just to keep track and to get... I think part of it makes me want to go watch more films from this year just because I want to add more to the list. Um, so it doesn't really matter, but I just do it anyway. And my list read as follows, because I'm doing 2021, so everything that got released this year, I'm going to make a separate one for like, the Oscar season or whatever, but one that I had for this year, it went It's a Sin 1, Jews Back Beside 2, Promising Young Woman 3, The Father 4, and then well, Luca 5, whatever. Then, in the last few weeks, I have seen The French Dispatch, The Green Knight, and June. Now, those three films, I've all given them a nine, right? I think they're better than The Father. They're probably not as good as Promising Young Woman. Now, those three films, The French Dispatch, June, The Green Knight, for me, I have no clue what goes above. You can literally say any order of the three. And I would have no problem. I have no idea what's better out of the French. How do you compare the French Dispatch to June? I just gave you know? up on doing that. I don't rank films anymore because it's just too difficult. <laughs> it's. Well, I'm going to make you do some like the you know, top five lists, or whatever the yeah. end of the year, and I'll force you into it. But it's a certain, it's a difficult choice to make, isn't it? Like, it is. obviously not for you because take out the I guess take out the French Dispatch, but like yeah. June and the Green Knight being so good. Yeah, it is difficult. But for me. French Dispatch being as good. I have no idea. Right now, I've got it French Dispatch, June, The Green Knight. But I understand that part of that's probably recency bias. Um, but for me, so those are the two that are three most anticipated films, and they really didn't let me down. Yeah. Um, I don't know, I don't know if any film this year has been a massive letdown. I mean, oh, actually, yeah, Old has been a really big letdown. But I, I think that, like, hopefully it continues. Down, old. Old, yeah. Yeah, um, but going into to next week, hopefully, 
I'm gonna have to have that same conversation, but with Last Night in Soho. Actually, hopefully, it's number one on the list. It's even better than it's a sin. Hopefully, because you know I always want to see good films. Um, but yeah, so I'm kind of alluding to I'm looking ahead because this next episode that's going to be coming out is going to be our Halloween special. It's going to be me and Brandon looking at the 1978 film Halloween, the 2018 film Halloween, and the 2021 film Halloween Kills. We're going to do a trilogy of Halloween films um, because I neither of us had ever properly seen them i think brandon had kind of seen the first one before like little bits but none of us have properly seen any of them so watching all three that should be coming out all things you know going well that should come out on halloween morning uh that's a bit of a weird voice break uh, halloween morning um and after that we've got a week and then you're back and we're going to be doing last night in soho and the eternals yeah so it feels like there's a big film every week i know it's non-stop at the minute it really is. And then, yeah, exactly. And, and then we've got, got House Water Gucci with... pretty much after that. Impressive from, uh, from and obviously I know COVID and delays and stuff, but it's very impressive that really Scott had two films coming out so damn close. I know, yeah. He's a busy, busy 80-something driver. Old. Yes, he is, yes. yeah. And there's also, of course, one of the greatest directors that ever lived. So, yes. what, what, you know, some man, some man, some man. Uh but yeah, have you got anything else to add, or should we should we just wrap it up? No, I think that's it. Have have fun next week because I won't be here with you. Your special Halloween episode. Have fun without me. Mm-hmm. Spooky. <laughs> um, this has been one of the most divisive episodes in the podcast history. Yeah, I can't believe we've spent that. like almost two hours talking about Dear Evan Hansen and the French Dispatch. Yeah. <laughs> we spent like an hour talking about Darren Hansen and half an hour talking about French Dispatch. <laughs> and at the beginning of the podcast, I would have guessed it would have been the opposite. And I imagine that you would have completely agree with Darren Hansen. It would have been a trash fest and like just hating on it. Yeah. But that's what I expected. That, that is what yeah. I expected. Yeah. But I found myself well, having fun. I wish I could have said the same. <laughs> okay. So, um, I'll tell you where you can have fun, Lewis. You can have yeah. fun on your Twitter account at Lewis W Lewis J W R. Yes, you can have fun I on my bu- Twitter account. It's I, so I, much I, fun. I butchered that. Uh, and you can you can have fun on your letterbox, which is now being used, yes. which is L J W R, yes. which wasn't being used before. And now log film again on Letterboxd. I'm, what I need to do is before every episode of the podcast, I'm going to unfollow you so I don't know what you read. And then as soon as each episode ends, I'm going to then follow you back. <laughs> so I'm going to be constantly following you and unfollowing you. Um, and if you want to find my letterbox, which we'll be following and I'm following him, you can do so at Sam Houston. And you can find me on Twitter at Sam H Media. You can find the podcast at Now Showing Podcast. And we are proud to be part of the Music City Driving Network. You can find their website for a variety of different podcasts including a number on films such as our own on music and on sports they've also got a number of high quality articles about all of those subjects and more uh, and you can find them on twitter at mcdi pod if you enjoyed the podcast the best way to support us is to give our five-star rating on itunes or sorry apple Podcasts, as it's now called that helps us go up in the rankings uh, and just tell everyone you know about us um sing it in the streets evan hansen style and get everyone hearing about the grand, the, the grand uh, now showing podcast um But other than that, uh, that's all. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Scumbag. (laughs)